Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23. And we are going to look once again uh, at Calvary this morning. And we have been in a series for some time, as you know, on Sunday morning, uh, looking at the characters that were there at the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, today is the plan to be the last a message in this series. We're going to look in the book of Luke, chapter number 23. Uh, I will be reading from some other passages throughout the message, and so you are uh, encouraged if you can follow along as I read. I would encourage you to do so, uh, but uh, if uh, I will give you the references if uh, I move a little bit quicker uh, than, uh, than you do. And so let's look at Luke, chapter number 23, and beginning at verse number 34. Uh, we know that Christ is being crucified. He is nailed to that cross. He has endured the scourging. He has endured uh, the mockery. He has endured the beating. Uh, he has carried his cross to Calvary. Uh, he is paying the sin debt for you and I. We have a sense and understanding of why he did what he did because of God's love for us in Him making the payment for us. So we pick up in verse number 34 of Luke 23, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided Him, saying, He saved others, let Him save Himself, if He be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked Him, coming to Him and offering Him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man <coughs> has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. For many months now, we have looked at different passages of Scripture throughout the Gospels, and we looked at the cross of Calvary. Our Savior, the Son of God, paying the sin debt for man. This series began, and we spoke of many characters. We spoke of the Apostle John, that disciple standing by, certainly Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. We spoke of centurions and chief priests and Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus made an appearance there, and many, many other characters that found their way to the cross. 
We cannot conclude this series without taking notice of a character that was overlooking the whole scene. And there was an audience that day, and as we have been preaching how this was the fulfilling of man's redemption, there was a character there that we find in verse number 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father. Yes, there were centurions there, and yes, there were acquaintances there. But they're viewing what was taking place on the cross was God, the Father. And today, for a few moments, and I'll move as quickly as I can, we're going to focus on God, the Father, as it relates to that scene at Calvary. Father, I pray this morning that you would empower me by your Spirit. May the Word of God be real to us today. May we be reminded of what Christ did for us on Calvary. And Father, those of us who have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have put our faith in the gospel, the finished work of Calvary. May we rejoice and we rejoice today at the redemption that we obtained through Christ. And Father, there's one today who's in the service, maybe one who might be listening by radio or by way of live stream today, if they have never trusted Christ as their Savior, may the Spirit of God even now begin to work in their life. May they give attention to what the Word of God has to say. May they realize their need of a, of a Savior. May they acknowledge the fact that they're a sinner and that the only way they can have forgiveness is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today, may Christ be honored and magnified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We think of God the Father. Certainly, we know that He is aware of all things. We think of this scene at the cross and as our God, Jehovah God, God the Father, as His Son is being crucified for man. As He overlooks what's taking place that day, we must allow our minds to go back to that event of creation. Now, God fashioned everything and He created everything and He spoke it all into existence and he made man in his own image. Then he saw it was not good for man to be alone, and so he created a helpmeet for him, and he created that first woman. Now I remind you, in the Garden of Eden, there were only two genders. There's still just two genders today. But we find in Genesis chapter number 3, we find the fall of man. Satan, in the form of that serpent, comes to Eve and tempts Eve and Eve takes of that, of that fruit which God had forbidden and sin entered into the human race by that first man, Adam. If we continue to read from the fall of man, we find that man immediately realized their separation from God because of sin. God came to fellowship with man, but man hid because of what man had done. There had to be something done so that man could once again fellowship with God. God, in His love for man, did not just take Adam and Eve and the human race and cast them aside. We read in the book of Genesis how the blood of an innocent animal was shed so that man could have a relationship with God. We know that that is a picture 
of what takes place in our text today. In the Old Testament, and I was going to read from Isaiah 53 this morning, but I'm going to just mention Isaiah 53 and remind you how the prophet Isaiah speaks of the lamb that would be led to slaughter. That lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see on Calvary, is fulfilling what that first sacrifice was a picture of. The fact that man and his sin was separated from God, and we're reminded in the book of Romans that that sin nature is passed down from the first man, Adam, to us. And that blood had to be shed so that man could be redeemed to God, so that man could have a relationship with God. Now here we are in the book of Luke, chapter number 23. The central figure of not just this passage, but the entire Word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus is on Calvary. It's on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have enjoyed and been helped by looking at all the different characters that were there and and getting a sense of why God wanted us to know they were there. I've enjoyed learning from all of that through these many weeks. But each and every week, as we look at a character that was present at the cross, we are reminded that the focus is on the cross. The focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the plan that God always had was being fulfilled in the fact that His perfect Son was paying the sin debt for all men. That little lamb that was slain in the book of Genesis, and the blood was shed so that man might have a restored relationship with God. Now we have the lamb that was spoken of in Isaiah chapter number 53. We have the perfect lamb, the Son of God, (coughs) on the cross being crucified. There overlooking the whole scene was God the Father. May we be reminded this morning before we get into the outline what a love God has for you and I. What a love God has for man. That He would send His Son, His perfect Son, His sinless Son, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, to die for you and for I to pay a penalty of death for something that he did not deserve. We have God overlooking the fulfillment of his plan. As I think of God the Father, and I think of what it must have been like, and certainly we have no comprehension from the mindset of God of the things that would take place that day. But there's some things that I think that we can draw from as we look at the Calvary and the importance of Calvary and from the perspective of God the Father, I want to say, first of all, number one, we see the Father's Son. In John chapter number 3 and verse 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, we are told that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus is and was the Son of God. Scripture tells us He's the only begotten Son of God. 
This is the Father's Son. As we read this morning, and you can read in the other Gospels, those chief priests, those religious would come by and question the fact, question whether or not he was the Son of God. And by the way, religion is still doing that today. Religion still says you're not the Son of God because if you were the Son of God, you wouldn't need church membership for quote-unquote salvation. You wouldn't need to get baptized for quote-unquote salvation. It is just through the Son of God. John 3.16 reminds us that Jesus was the only begotten. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, we have the scene of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. We have the words of God as he refers to the Lord Jesus. This is my beloved son. So we have in John 3.16, God referring to Jesus as the only begotten son. Matthew 3.16, the beloved son. We look at our text in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father... Forgive them. Jesus, the Son, is speaking to God, the Father. God said, I'm going to send my only begotten to this world because I love them. To pay. I'm going to send them to pay the sin debt. He's already said in Matthew chapter 3, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He had a will for His Son. And Jesus pleased his father because he fulfilled the will that God has set forth from him. And now we have the son speaking to his father and saying, forgive them. This is not the message, but what a... These words cannot be overlooked in verse 34 when, he, when Jesus, as he's been crucified, as he's been mocked, speaking to his father to say, forgive them. After we see the father's son, I also must remind us of the father's plan. The father's plan was redemption. A simple word for the word redemption is deliverance. Deliverance from our sin. I must remind us, and some in this world don't like to hear this today, but man is a sinner. And because we have sinned, just as Adam and Eve sinned in that garden, there is a separation. And blood had to be shed so that there could be a redemption. There could be a restoration. There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. The scripture tells us that. The Father's plan was a plan of deliverance from sin. Friend, you and I cannot redeem ourselves. If you're saved this morning, it's not because you redeemed yourself. And that's what is being meant when someone say, well, I'm trying to work my way to heaven. What you're saying is, I'm trying to deliver myself from my own sin. Friend, man is a sinner. Man was born a sinner. Man has a sin nature. And religion can't get that out of you. Medical procedures can't get that out of you. You and I as man are sinners. We cannot deliver ourselves. And as a sinner, I cannot deliver another man. 
And as a sinner, you cannot deliver another man. As a pastor this morning, nobody can come to me and say, would you forgive me of my sins? I cannot do that. A sinner cannot forgive another sinner of the sins of this world. It takes one who the Father would accept as the payment so that we might be delivered. Make no mistake about it, friend. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. And God demands a payment for sin. When a sin is committed, this world may scoff at it. This this world may mock it. This world might make fun of sin. But there's a holy and a righteous God who is offended by sin, who demands that there is a punishment for sin. So there had to be a plan of redemption. This was the Father's plan. John 3, 16, as I've already mentioned, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved man enough that He sent His Son to provide a way of redemption. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He was acknowledging what was true and is still still true today, that he was there to make the payment. He was there to shed his blood. He was there to fulfill the plan of redemption by his Father. He was the way back to the Father, and it is still true today. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, through the deliverance that is Christ Jesus. No church has ever delivered anyone. No religious belief has ever delivered anyone. It is through Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse 7, we have another example, another reminder of the Father's plan, which is redemption, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Friend, this morning, if you're honest, we know that you and I are sinners. You can't be saved without acknowledging that. You can't be saved without, uh, without believing that. But we are reminded in Ephesians verse 1 and verse 7, we have redemption Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I can't help but think of those words that Jesus uttered. Father, forgive them. I can't help but think of John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. I can't think, help but think of that scene that day as the father is watching man mock his son and, and Jesus is submitting himself to the physical torment that day all because of the plan of redemption. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Friend, this morning, if you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you have forgiveness of sins. Might I just stop right here and testify for just a moment? It's awfully good to be forgiven. 
It's awfully good to have forgiveness. That is a burden that I don't have to walk around with in this world, wondering if I have to pay for my sins or not. I don't have to pay for for my sins. There is no sin I'll have to pay for because I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're saved this morning, it's time we rejoice in that because it is through the blood of Jesus. It is the plan of God. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never believed in what I'm talking about right now, maybe you've never heard it presented this way before, the only way you can shed that burden of sins, the only way you can walk through this life knowing you have forgiveness for every wrong that you have ever done is put your faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to accept God's plan of redemption. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I'm reminded by that passage of Scripture, it's not just redemption, but it's eternal redemption. We see the Father's Son. We see the Father's plan. And this morning, I want us to look back into... Our text, first of all, and see the Father's reaction. I said just a moment ago, just a few moments ago, that God is a holy God, and He is. God is a righteous God, and He is. Sin cannot enter into the presence of God. It's against His very nature. So it should come as no surprise to us that in Luke chapter number 23, look at me again at verse number 44. It was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. If we were to turn to a couple other places, we would find Jesus asking his father, Why hast thou forsaken me? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he asked this question. And if we took the time to look there, mark that reference down, but the wording here is important because in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, we find it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness all over the earth. In Matthew 27, 46, we find it was in, I'm sorry, in the night, it was in the sixth hour. We find at the, approximately the same time there was Jesus asked the question, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to turn his back on his own son as he bore the sins of the world. The world went dark. Now, if that had taken place, if the, if the, if the, if the media of today and the, and the so-called educated of today had been there, it would have been 24-7 nonstop on all the cable news. A random eclipse came out of nowhere. Here is an anomaly that has taken place, and, and, and what an eclipse that had taken place to try and explain away the fact that God was watching over man's redemption and the Father's reaction is to turn away from sin and darkness came on the world as man's deliverance was being, his redemption was being, his redemptive plan was being fulfilled. I don't think you and I could accurately in our mind picture the scene that had taken place that day. 
we know, and I'll get a little bit ahead of myself, that when Jesus pronounces that it is finished, not only was there darkness on the earth, but the earthquake that took place and the graves that opened, and many who had been dead and buried were seen walking around the streets, certainly something different had taken place. I want us to remind us, and we'll get to number four, and then when I get through number four, no matter what time it is, if we're done early, we'll, we'll leave early today. But I want us to be reminded of the Father's Son. He was the only begotten, meaning He was the only one who could have fulfilled this plan. He was the beloved Son in whom God was pleased. He was pleased because He fulfilled, was fulfilling the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father for His Son? To pay for the sins. To be that plan of redemption. We have the Father's plan, which we just spent some time on, that redemptive plan of deliverance and how it is through the shed blood of Christ. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ that man is redeemed. It was through the Father's Son. It was the fulfillment of the Father's plan. His reaction when Jesus bore the sins of the world was to turn his back, and it's a reminder for you and I, that through the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation, we'll never know the experience, if we're saved, of having God turn his back on us. And I believe that just you taking what you know about God, and you taking what you know about Calvary, as Scripture tells us, the reason why it was dark that day is God pulled himself away. God removed himself from what was taking place there, because of the sin that Jesus bore on himself. And friend, it's a darkness that you and I cannot even comprehend with the absence of God and the removal of God. You look at what's taking place in our own nation as we have removed God. Our nation has gotten darker and darker and darker. One of the horrible things about hell is not just the eternal torment that will take place and the flame that is not quenched. It is the absence of God. This lost world has no idea how God is still speaking to them, still working in their life, still offering blessings to them as they deny Him. But the day is coming when it will be dark and God will remove His presence as God removed His presence as His Son was taking upon Himself the sins. We see that there's a problem. That problem is sin. Jesus offered himself as that lamb to shed his blood. God has to remove himself. Darkness covers the world as God pulls away as sin was placed on his son. But I want us to see what I'd have encouraged us today, and if you're not saved, it ought to prompt you to get your salvation settled today. We find number four, the Father's acceptance. In John chapter 19, in verse number 30, Jesus says, or he says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, a couple of things that I want to remind us of. When Jesus says it is finished, it's finished. When Jesus says it's done, it's done. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to add to it. There's nothing that you can take away from it. Jesus said it is finished. I don't have time to, to run down this road, but I'll mention it very quickly. I think of what is said about uh, that, that, that serpent bruising the hill. In the book of Genesis, but Jesus would bruise his head. It is finished. Salvation had been completed. It had been paid for. The price had been paid. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Man did not take his life from him. Man is not capable of taking his life from him. And I'm reminded from this view we have in this day we live, looking back at the crucifixion, Jesus gave up his life. That is why he came the first time. When he comes the second time to establish his kingdom, man will try once again in their denial of him being the Son of God, refusing to accept him as the payment for sins. They'll try and kill him again. But this time is different. He won't be here to give up the ghost. By the very words of his mouth, there'll be a slaughter that this world has never seen, that Hollywood could not replicate as the Son of God establishes himself once and for all as King of kings and Lord of lords. If he did not come as the Lamb, it would have been the same result. But he came as the Lamb because the Father said, Son, I need you to go and pay sin's price he came as that lamb to lay his life down so that you and I might have redemption, so that you and I might be saved. Because the truth of the matter is, if there's anybody that knows you can't work your way to heaven, it's God the Father. If there's anybody that knows and would say today, as he says in Scripture, church membership's not going to get you there, it's God the Father. There had to be a payment. And Jesus said, it is finished. In Luke 23, our text in verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, the scripture tells us that in the temple, that veil that separated the priest as he offered that blood of an animal, to pay for his sins and the sins of the people. God ripped that veil, and I don't have time to, to give you the dimensions this morning and what that would mean, but it's not a little bitty veil that you might think of. This was something that only the hands of God could rend from, from the bottom to the top, and he split that veil symbolizing that Jesus had made, paid that price, and Jesus had taken care of that. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. We're going to read a lot of scripture here to finish the message. As we think of what God did in Matthew 27 and verse 51, and that veil of that temple was rent in twain. In chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews in verse 23, Hebrews 7, verse 23 and they, truly were, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. 
Wherefore he is able also to save them to the othermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Turn over to chapter number 9, Hebrews chapter number 9. And I'll read very quickly this morning. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. We are reminded of that blood that had to be shed when Adam and Eve first sinned, and that sin nature was passed down to all men. God had shed blood so that man could be redeemed. Man could be restored. And every time that priest would go into the tabernacle behind that veil and and, and apply that shed blood of that lamb, that shed blood of that bullock, and they would add that blood and apply that blood to cover the sins of the people. But look at verse number 7. But into the second, when the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, the Holy Ghost, the signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while at the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances, imposed on them until the time of reformation. Watch verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building." Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. No longer would a priest need to offer the blood of a bull or a goat because Jesus himself shed his own blood offered his own blood. And just as that lamb that was slain in the book of Genesis and up until this point was a picture of redemption. It was a picture of the fact that the Son of God would one day come. Now that the Son of God had come, the only begotten, 
the one who was well, well pleased, the, the, the only begotten Son of God, he was that sin sacrifice, having shed his own blood. Now, received by the Father. No longer would man need to offer the sacrifice of the sacrifice of the blood of the bulls and goats. But I'm reminded once again in verse number 25, not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy places every year with blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to him to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin and the salvation. The book of Hebrews reminds us the role Jesus played in the shedding of his own blood so that the Father would accept the payment of redemption. God the Father accepted the payment that Jesus paid. Why are those that are saved so confident in their salvation? Because God the Father accepted the payment that had been made. I don't have to please a religious man for my salvation today. There's not a church that I have to please for my salvation today. Because Jesus paid the price for me in the shedding of his own blood. My faith is in what Jesus did. Knowing that God the Father, who was also present at Calvary, who was also there watching what would take place, there was his Son, who he sent because he loved man so much to pay for the sins of man. And because of the shed blood of Christ, God the Father accepts that payment for our sins. I remind you in conclusion what Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, no man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Every soul that languishes in hell today, and those that will languish in eternity, do so because they rejected the way. Do so because they refuse to believe what Jesus said and was certainly true.
It is God. Let me appeal to your logic just for a moment. It was God, it is God that rejects the sins of man. When Adam and Eve sinned, it separated them from God. The blood was shed so that man could be restored to God. That was a picture of Jesus to come to fulfill His purpose on Calvary. If it is God who we must be reconciled to in order for salvation, for forgiveness, for eternal life, there is but one opinion. There is but one person we should be trying to satisfy. Especially with our salvation, it should be God the Father. This morning as we conclude the service, I must ask you, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking this morning when I ask that question, if you believe He was the only begotten. There's, a, there's, there's many who I believe, I'm, I'm sad to say, who believe Jesus was born of a virgin, believe He was the Son of God. But they've yet to believe that it was His payment on Calvary that gives salvation. It is what Christ did plus nothing. Well, I believe that he paid for my sins, and I, and I believe you have to be a good person. No, 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 no. You can't be good enough to be reconciled to God. You, you could get baptized in every church in this city, and you wouldn't be any closer to heaven if you didn't have the applied blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can join one church this week and try a different denomination the next week and just keep going and going and going. You can even have a nice coexist bumper sticker on the back of your car. But if you've not satisfied God the Father and His payment He requires, you'll not ever enter into His presence of heaven. You'll not receive forgiveness of sins. While this may be unpopular and hard for some to hear, it is the absolute truth. We must accept what God has set as the standard of our salvation. And it is what Christ did on Calvary. All you have to do is believe. I believe in what Jesus did. And I believe this morning that if I put my faith and trust in what Christ did on Calvary, the Father will accept that payment. According to scriptures we've already read this morning, forgiveness of sins is mine. Redemption is mine. It's a heavy burden to carry that, those sins around. You can know they've been forgiven. We think it was dark in that day. It's going to be dark when God removes himself. Man is cast into outer darkness who rejected the Lord Jesus. Make sure that you're saved today. Father, I pray.